it is tough to win on the road in college basketball. If that truth had been forgotten, it has reminded everyone here in the last couple of days. We record here on Wednesday night. We had a bit of a power issue uh, earlier this week, prevent a more traditional Monday recording. So here we are on a Wednesday night recording during North Carolina, Oklahoma, um, right after the upset of Se- by Seton Hall over UConn. Um, Duke beating Baylor yesterday. We had a obviously another home road splits game where Providence, is, is, as Brad was so gleefully able to watch, um, beat Marquette. I mean, you just go down the line. It, it is hard to find those type of wins in these type of environments. And conference play brings a lot of those type of games. So uh, a lot of fun, a lot to get into. Had a busy, busy Saturday, maybe the biggest Saturday of the season this past weekend that we, were, we have to get into as well. Some of those games feel a long time away. They really aren't. Um, and this is our last pod before Christmas. So uh, just wrapping up most of non-conference play before uh, moving on into the league for good. The Big East, obviously, an early starter. But uh, Brad, your 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 initial thoughts. I guess we'll we'll take the pulse of the game that just happened first. Your initial thoughts: UConn falling to Seton Hall. Uh, what does it mean for both teams? Well, I mean, I've I've watched a ton of both teams this year, and that was definitely the worst UConn's looked, and either the best that the best that Seton Hall's looked, or maybe Sunday against Missouri. Um, but either way. UConn just looked less athletic than than uh, Seton Hall, and you know one one of the biggest early season issues with Seton Hall was the lack of production from Alamir Dawes, who everyone knew was flawed. But you figure, okay, fifth year senior, he's played a ton of high level minutes at Clemson, Seton Hall. You could pencil him in, maybe 13, 14 points a game, um, and the shooting just hasn't been there for him. Ade Wuzu, who was one of my favorite glue guys in college basketball the past few years, he's just fine in his game. He was pretty bad up until this weekend. Um, and then Betty Yako's been very good to solid the, the whole season. Uh, but the difference for Seton Hall is getting stuff from Dawes and Wuzu. The difference from UConn, obviously, Kling got hurt. Um, the only other game they lost was against – it was at Kansas in a game that it kind of felt that they should have won. Um, this, this was the first time that they looked kind of overmatched athletically and then the shots weren't falling. It was probably the worst game for Tristan Newton on the year. Cam Spencer didn't play well and it was clinging out, uh, kind of all unraveled at once. Right. Yeah. I mean, a few things here. Number one is that Dan, like I'm sure Dan Hurley will walk into the press conference today and have a number of things that he's frustrated with, with how they played. Um, but we also shouldn't overreact to shooting variants, right? Like they were four for 21 from three. And this is what happened last year with UConn, right? I mean, when their when their bad stretch happened, they stopped making the shots that they made all year long. And then they went back to making them and they won the national championship going away. But if you, you look back to that stretch when they lost those games, they were five for 22 on the road at Providence. They were six for 22 uh, against Marquette on the road. Um, you know, they were... You know, they made shots, you know, even against um, like even some like OK numbers, like they were 10 for 28 against Xavier, 35 percent. Right. Like they, in general, Mark, when, when you got UConn last year, you got them because they were 35 or under from three. Uh, and if they were over that threshold, you had no shot. Um, and see, and UConn, I thought 
you know, certainly FSC you know, did a good job defensively in, in the bits that I watched, but I also think they certainly left points on the table to, to the Huskies. I mean, Caravan one for six, Spencer one for five, right? Two, two elite shooters to be two for 11. And you mentioned Newton struggling a little bit. I think the physicality of the game kind of bothered him. And, you know, I think Seton Hall understood the importance of it. Um, they came there physical. Richmond was great. Um, Dawes gave him a little bit. Wusu gave him a little bit. Um, and then just the, the steady production from guys like Bediaco and Dre Davis is, is, was, was huge in this game. And it has been really for Seton Hall all year. So uh, they've been able to turn it around a little bit. Started, you know, six and four, but had the, you know, home loss to Rutgers. Natives were restless um, to, to win on the road, or five and four, excuse me, to win on the road at Mizzou. Uh, turn around and then beat UConn certainly big for for their season and put them back into the uh, into the NCAA tournament conversation. You know it won't be easy, but uh, certainly a path there now. And then you know I I made a little um, kind of check in conference power rankings. You know trying to try to keep it updated so I have my thoughts on on paper of where I think these teams currently stand and coming into Big East play. I put UConn at one and Seton Hall at nine. Um, I think if you would ask me to redo it right now, I think I would just swap Seton Hall and Xavier. Um, Xavier, a team that, that for some reason I just keep like holding out hope for, like this is when they're going to turn it around. Like they looked solid against Houston. They obviously looked pretty good against Cincinnati. The two by game losses are killing their tournament hopes. But, you know, they have a great coach. They still have some talent out there. I figured that they'd turn it around. Um, but I, I didn't watch any of the St. John's game, but they were seemingly non-competitive at St. John's. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm surprised the metrics haven't caught up a little bit more with them. Like, it's all really St. Mary's. St. Saint, Saint Mary's is the gift that keeps on giving to everybody. Right, if you're a 17-point win over a top 50 team on the neutral, that's fair. Um. And they didn't get blown out by Purdue. They didn't, you know, I think they actually exceeded expectation that game. Um, probably yeah, exceeded or came close against Houston. Like, so yeah, I mean, I, I get it. Um, but yeah, I just the inconsistency is going to be too much. I, I think, I think you're right that like there's going to be nights where you don't want to play the scene. But I, I, I don't think you can count on anything from the Xavier team, especially away from home. So yeah, and now I think they have the ninth best resume, and I think if I were Ranking the teams right now, I put them at nine as well. Um, speaking of uh, uh, Tuesday's games, did you catch any Providence Marquette? I did not, but I did go back and watch a little bit, so I do have some opinions. Defense was great. They finally hit shots. They've 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 hit shots twice the whole se- whole season, and it was against Wisconsin and Marquette. Um, Devin Carter and Ticket Gaines each had five threes. Ticket games can only shoot on one side of the court, which uh, someone tweeted out his shot chart today. He's 12 of 15 from the left corner. From the right side of the court, the wing and corner, he's a combined 3 for 30. 0 for 14 from the right wing. Like, this is, you know, kind of speaks to Providence's shooting overall. It's just. The amount of open shots they miss and miss the turnovers and miss free throws is killing their offense, but their defense is elite. Uh, I think stylistically, given they're an athletic-based team 
in a mostly skill-based league, I think that could, you know, give them maybe an upper hand and have them higher in the standings than maybe people expect or their talent level would suggest just because they're a little different than the rest of the league. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm interested in that. I, I don't know that they can quite. I guess the question is, do you think there's a team that can post like, like a 15 and five in the league? I would have said UConn, Marquette, Creighton could all do 15 and five. I still might say that. I guess it depends how long Klingham's out, but um, I mean, everyone gets four. Everyone should hopefully get the four free wins at the bottom with the ball in Georgetown. Win your home games. That gets you to 12 right there. Right. It'll be interesting. I mean, look, like, uh, on, on Providence, like, as, as a whole, I think, you know, Carter's continued emergence is unbelievable. I mean, for a guard to have a 4% block rate, and, and Garway, too, is above above that threshold like the ability that providence has defensive defensively with those two guys to just wreak havoc uh is huge and carter to me is almost turning into what omax was last year now he's on the ball more but kind of similar in that like you looked at him and you kind of thought to yourself yeah like maybe maybe he is like an nba player and everyone kind of came to that realization at the same time. And then he goes from like, yeah, like, you know, he he get a two-way, like, maybe he'll come back, like, maybe he won't, to like, by the end of the year, people being like, yeah, like, he just dominates every chatting, so he's going to be a first-round pick. Like, I, I I wouldn't rule that out with Devin Carter. He's a little undersized, but, you know, he, he has proven he can pass, and he has proven he can shoot. You know, I, I don't know how good a shooter he really is, but, like, the numbers don't lie. I mean, he's shooting 39% from three uh, on over two makes a game. Like, at some point, if you can do that, you're a pretty good shooter, unless it really falls falls off the uh, falls off the, the cliff. So I don't know. I'm I'm interested. Like I I I think this Providence team is really good. I think you know Hopkins still hasn't felt like he's hit his ceiling yet. Right? There's been certain nights, obviously, especially when he's playing undersized, you know, mid major competition. But like when you look at the biggest games, he has struggled. Um, they have to find a way to get him going a little bit more, but. I mean, Carter's so good. Oduro's been really good. I, I always thought he was overlooked in the portal, um, but I, I, I don't know that I anticipate him being as as impactful as he has been, uh, and, and generally has been able to stay on the floor and play 20, 25 to 30 minutes a game. Um, that's obviously huge for them. So great one for Providence. Schedule is pretty manageable to start 3-0 and in the league, and set yourself up to try to steal some road games and, and make it interesting. Yeah. I mean, Carter's are such an elite, elite de- defensive player. You mentioned the blocks, but he's also gets like eight rebounds a game. Uh, despite being six, three, I think he's long enough where like he can even play some three. Uh, obviously in college, he was playing the, the uh, five last night. Some, uh, <laughs> you know, he, he's just such, you know, maybe he gave a, a Bruce Brown like impact, a guy who, Maybe he's a little taller than Carter, um, but pl- played some wacky center lineups, I think, with Denver or uh, Brooklyn. Um, yeah, De- Devin Carter at this point is a shoe-in, I think, to be drafted. We'll obviously see how the shooting holds up as the season progresses. 
Um, and then, yeah, Oduro is much better than I expected. Hopkins and Corey Floyd, Jaden Pierre, worse. Rich Barron, better. Take a gains probably a little bit better. It was all, all kind of evening out. Um, and the defense was one thing I definitely saw coming. Like when the first Ken Palm rankings came out and they were whatever, 70th in defense, I was like, there's no, there's, this team is going to be incredible defensively. And they've even exceeded my expectations there. Um, off to Marquette, though. I think the issue with Marquette, and I think I mentioned this either last week or the week prior, is you know we thought David Joplin was going to be like a 13, 14 point per game guy. He's like a, probably a little worse than he was last year. Stevie Mitchell hasn't made a jump. Chase Ross, I think, for the most part, has made a jump this year. He obviously didn't score against Providence. Um, and then Gold, Golden Jones or Golden Sean Jones are fine. They're probably a year away. Uh, but it, it really just comes down to they need more from Joplin. Yeah, they, I, I think the way I would frame it is this. Like, the core three guys of Oso, Kolick, and Cam Jones are good enough that on a lot of nights, it doesn't matter what the rest of the team does. But when you're playing high-level games, when you're playing on the road, like, you just need other guys to find ways to be impactful. And I just don't think they've had enough of that. Now, Mitchell is, you know, Mitchell's a limited offensive player. I know he didn't play yesterday. Uh, Ross is up and down. Right? Like, there's moments where you like it with Ross, but he's not a great shooter. He's not overly consistent as an offensive player. Jones is at least dynamic in terms of getting two feet in the paint. Um, that's Sean Jones. But he's still not, again, an overly impactful offensive player because he can't really shoot. I mean, he's four for 26 from three. Um, and, you know, he obviously gives you something, gives something back on defense. You know, defensively, he's a pest. But he also gives something back from like a size and versatility, switchability standpoint. So, you know, they just have to, I just think they have to find answers. Honestly, like, I would like to see them play a little bit more of Joplin at the three, Gold at the four, Igadaro at the five, and just see how, see how it flows. Because I think letting Joplin play as a more traditional wing and shoot the ball, I think will help him instead of putting a lot on him defensively that Omax had to do. Um, I still think they're fine, as as I said before, but it is a little bit worrisome that they've, like, every time they lose, you can kind of, like, draw a pretty clear line as to why they did. But and, uh, Gold, Gold's a very good player. It's just his minutes are just limited to how things are going with Oso in terms of foul trouble or just kind of general, how generous Shock is being. Like, Bank... Bengals good enough to be like a 20 plus minute per game guy, I think, in, in the Big East. But there'll be games where he plays five minutes because also played 35. Or I think every now and then when they're getting killed on the glass, Shaka will put in Oso and Gold together. Uh, but that's something I thought that they would do more in the preseason. They're, they're really relying on these starters. They're 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 running them into the ground. Um, but yeah, I. I still think Marquette's a top 10 team. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, all right, let's go hit the other big game of, of today, Wednesday, before we get to some of the other stuff from Tuesday that was notable, and then the weekend at, at large. Um, that was Duke Baylor. Duke needed this one, right? I mean, 
the first, first three real big games of the year, other than Michigan State, they lost, needed that like second win that had some substance to it heading into conference play. Baylor coming off getting blown out by Michigan State, but still I think a team that will be very good, that will be competitive in their league uh, at the top of the Big 12. And, you know, I, I, I thought Duke played – I thought Duke played a whale of a ball game, all things considered. Like Jared McCain made some huge shots, just played under control. I actually thought that the ball, by not having Proctor, the ball stuck a little less offensively, which is funny because Proctor's, you know, theoretically your best passer. I just, I just felt as though there was a little bit more fluidity to what they were doing offensively. They had enough shooting, um, and they weren't able to take advantage as much of the Mark Mitchell um, shooting woes. And I think part of that is Shire's adjustments. I think they did a better job of using him in certain spots, keeping him in the dunker, not letting the ball get in his hands. Don't just let him be in a rotation three. Um, but for them to withstand a not great game by Filipowski uh, to beat a very good Baylor team that pushed them, that made runs, that had a tremendous, tremendous performance from Eves Missy, who continues to emerge. I was very impressed. Yeah, I watched most of the first half of this game, and then I figured UConn's on the ropes. I knew I knew you were watching, so I'd go to UConn. But you know that that first half. I mean, yeah. Just trying to think how to how to phrase this because you got you got a really good start from McCain and Foster. They're both active. They're flying around. They're hitting shots. But then again, Proctor is a guy who in the preseason, and I, I know you, you were in on this, right, is he was the default, you know, jump to be an All-American guy. It was obviously premature. And that's why, you know, when, when you look at Duke in the preseason, you're like, okay, this team has two top, you know, two All-Americans, and then Mark Mitchell's going to have a huge breakout year. None, none of that has really happened. Phil, Phil, Filipowski, yes, um, and then two of you know, my my long-winded point here is that McCain and Foster were seen as like borderline NBA guys in in the preseason. It was kind of like how much are they even going to play. Um, the fact that we're getting some good play from them in a huge game beating Baylor, I guess, is a nice step in that direction of Duke being as talented as they looked in the preseason. Yeah, like, and I didn't feel like it was an overwhelming showing by any means. Like, I thought, I, I thought that both teams kind of pushed back and forth at one another, and I, I thought that they just kind of had enough with with McCain making shots. I think the thing that was impressive to me was that both McCain and Foster felt comfortable creating a little bit, right? Like, not nothing crazy off the bounce, but like. Um, you know, the, the ability to attack a closeout and hit a floater, the ability to kind of shift it, you know, shift it off the ball, um, play it behind your back and and go get a tough layup. Like there were some big shots by those two guys to combine for 33 was huge. Um, and I, I thought for Baylor, just like the inability to keep guys out of the paint was, it was a huge issue. And the only times where they were able to, really deter um to deter 
Baylor or to deter Duke's drive, excuse me, was when Meese was on the floor. When he was out there, you at least had the ability to protect the rim. And it's, I thought it, it deterred some drive. It scared guys off. When Ojan Wuna was in or when Chamo Chacha was in, it was a ugly, ugly night in terms of what they were doing defensively. Um, you know, Jaden Nunn was really quiet. I haven't watched enough Baylor to say if that's been a thing all year, but like when I've watched them, I haven't been overly impressed with Jaden Nunn. And I'd love to see like Langston Love start to swallow some of those minutes. But I still believe in this group. Like Ray J and Walter can really, really make make plays offensively. Bridges has shot it well. And and Misi's really emerging and continuing to. He, he feels like he gets better every time I watch him. Today, 11, 10, and five blocks. So, you know, I'm I'm not down on Baylor, but I, you know, we texted about this last week. Like, I I had kind of made, I, I had kind of bought some stock in Florida and Auburn. And I was like, well, why? I was like, I don't know. I guess, I guess I must think Baylor's really good because that's the, 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 the calling card for both of those teams was, you know, we played close against, against, against Baylor. And so for Baylor to drop these two games, uh, it do, does take a little bit of wind out of their sails. It's funny because you look at this Baylor roster and it profiles as a very good defensive team. Now, I, I don't know about Dennis at, at, at the point, but Walter is incredibly long. Yeah. None is supposed to be like an NBA caliber defender. Bridges is that prototypical wing defender. And then Misi, as you just mentioned, has been getting better and better on, on the defensive end. So you would think that that would be a great defensive lineup, but not uh, working out that way so far. Um, yeah, and I started, part of it has been what people have talked about with losing Tang. I think that is at least a factor in all of this. Um, but I don't think it's the only thing, right? I think it's the inability, it's just the inability to contain the dribble. And I don't know if that's effort. I don't know what it is, but they have just not done a good enough job of, of keeping guys out of the lane. Um, I guess it's a good way to just, just while we're on Baylor to talk Michigan state real quickly, um, because they played Baylor over the weekend, jumped them from the opening tip pretty much, uh, 88 to 64, the final, I don't know if you saw any of this game, Brad, but I, I, I just, was at Providence sacred heart with Devin Carter sitting anyway. out with a minor injury, which that was, that, that was a game anyway, but that just felt to me like classic, like desperate as though, right. Pretty, pretty stunning, too. I, I mean, with with how Baylor had played, I, I watched them wax Seton Hall but the week before, 10 days before. Obviously, in the opener, they, they were great against Auburn, who is, I I think, a top-20 team. I've, I've never sold my, my Auburn stock. I love those big, athletic SEC teams. Um, but yeah, you figured you know, Michigan State had, had no chance, but... They they were shot out of a cannon, and now they're in an interesting spot where are they the fourth best team in the conference? You know, the fifth best team in, in the Big Ten, maybe even higher. I know the analytics have never sold their Michigan State socks, so maybe it was a little, a, a little premature to bury the Spartans. Well, the funny thing with the analytics is the analytics were never that high on Michigan State. But then didn't come down as much when Michigan State wasn't doing things the analytics said we weren't going to do. Right, and, and I think it was also a re, a recalibration because James Madison 
you know, people thought was going to be a borderline top 100 team, and now they're in, like, the top 50. So that goes from, like, ooh, that's, like, Michigan State losing at home to Penn State to actually, ooh, that's Michigan State losing at home to, like, Michigan. No doubt. No doubt. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think that that game, as much as anything, was just an illustration of, all right, this team is really good when they get downhill. This team is really good when Hogard plays well. They got a great contribution off the bench from both Fears and from Trey Holloman. Trey Holloman, back, back-to-back games, has really played well. Um, and the uh, sleepers guys have been trying to send Trey Holloman to any team that'll take him in exchange for like a washing machine. Like the whole, you know, the, the whole off season and then the, the whole season as well. But yeah, I mean, I, I guess I wasn't surprised in the sense of like, all right, this is just classic Izzo and they're not as bad as everyone thinks type thing. Um, but I was surprised in that like they just truly did not look very good. There had not been a lot of times where you looked up and you saw that Michigan State was really good. But on the Big Ten front, I mean, as you said, I mean, there is a ton of upward mobility here, right? And and we'll talk about Purdue. Uh, in, in a minute, they're obviously the number one team in this league, maybe the best team um, in the country. Um, but outside of them, there's a ton of flexibility. I think Illinois and Wisconsin are probably the next two best teams. Would you agree with that? Yes. Illinois, just the positional size, the athleticism, the talent. Uh, and then with Wisconsin, they have you know some impressive results here lately. Um, they're disciplined. They're old. But after that, I mean, it has not been a smooth, smooth ride. I mean, there have been some teams that look worse than anticipated. Um, Iowa, I think, a little bit worse than you would have expected. Rutgers, not all that close to the tournament. I think a lot of us would have said, you know, around the bubble. Um, Maryland, certainly a lot worse than you would have expected. Um, Indiana, I know they're 2-0 and right now in the league, but, you know, somehow have survived all these bye games. They're worse than you would have probably penciled in on paper. Um, not a lot of teams better. Right. So there is room for Michigan State, but there's also room for like Ohio State. Like I I actually think if you ask me who who's the team I like the most outside of the top three, I think I would say Ohio State with their guards. And they're you know really one result away. Like don't blow that huge lead against Penn State and they're ten and one ranked. Everybody's excited. You know, one loss was AM, a really close game against a, a ranked team. Um but you know, I, I just love Roddy Gale. And obviously Thornton gets a lot of the attention um, for good reason. He's very dynamic with the ball in his hands. But to me, the real linchpin to their team is Roddy Gale and his ability to pass, his ability to defend. Um, he's quietly averaging 15, 5, and 4. The guy I think is probably closer to an NBA player than people realize. It's like, I am a big-time Roddy Gale believer. And when you have two guards like that, you're going to have a chance to win games, right? I mean, it's... It's not rocket science when you have two dynamic dudes and you have guys blotting around them. You know, chance for pretty good. Don't don't tell that to Buckeye fans that they may have another sneaky NBA player leaving too early. Um, I mean, they're they're the recent poster child for just getting screwed with the early entry, but oh yeah. Um, because I, I I'm I'm in a constant state of portal brain. Zed Key not starting as a senior, I would be probably pretty shocked if he's not one of these top uh, COVID seniors on, on the market. For anyone that needs a big, I'll keep my eye on that. But yeah, I 
in my aforementioned checkup on conference power rankings, I I, I did go Ohio State four, Michigan State five, and then Michigan six. I moved down Northwestern after that Chicago State debacle. Did you see what what happened there? I wasn't watching like most of the game. Um, I did go back and like take a look a little bit just to kind of figure out what you know in the world happened. I think it was just one of those games. Chicago State is very athletic. Like that that is the one thing with them is that like they're not your traditional buy where you walk in and you're just going to overwhelm them with size and athleticism. Like they're not a super big team in terms of their, their, their front court, but they are extremely, extremely uh, athletic and have a, a lot of versatility with these like six, five, six, six wings. And Cardet was just kind of head down bully mode all night. Northwestern kind of came out flat. Chicago State hung in the game, pushed them a little bit. And, um, you know, the the funny thing was that, you know, it was the classic, like, all right, sleepy game, not a lot of people there. Chicago State takes a, a lead into half, or if, if not, it was like a one-point game, takes the lead early in the second, and then gives up the run, where you're like, all right, it's over now. Because uh, I remember I turned it on. It was 45 to 38 Northwestern was trailing. And I turn it on and Northwestern goes on this immediate 14 to two run. I'm looking now on Ken Palm. It's 52 to 45 or 52 to 47 all of a sudden. Right. And then it's 56 to 49. And then it's 60 to 52 with 10 minutes to go. And you're like, okay, like it's over now. Right. Like you don't lose the game once you make the run. And then they just kind of fell flat again. Um, Probably a little bit of surprise from from Northwestern that Chicago State was still punching at them uh, and then just didn't have the shot making late to, to go win it. And it was concerning. I mean, they were also really bad against DePaul. I know they actually covered, but that was that's kind of an embarrassment for the spread. I mean, that was, you know, Northwestern scored 56 points against DePaul. Like, you're going to have to be better. Now, they are blowing the doors off of Arizona State as we speak. So um, maybe all is well in Evanston. I think they're fine. Um, but, yeah, certainly worthy of a bit of a dock. And, you know, people like to, like, People like to equate things like across the, like across across uh like on on resumes like beating beating Purdue and losing to Chicago State don't cancel out. That's not how it works. But if there was a circumstance of of two games canceling each other, it would kind of be that. Yeah, it doesn't quite cancel out because we know how much they love those big wins, but uh, it it does put a damper on it. You know, again. Th- you would think of maybe fourth place, maybe fifth place. And, you know, they could still do that, obviously. If right. That, that was a blip. Um, right. Iowa lost to Eastern Illinois last year. Yeah, and they, they ended up making the tournament. Yeah, they had um, a seven or an eight seed. Should we talk Purdue and their guard explosion against Arizona? Sure. So I was at this game. Um, did you do the uh, doubleheader that you were planning from months ago? I, I did not. So there was a one, there was a extra convoluting factor into this, which was that the Colts were playing on Saturday and not Sunday, mm-hmm. um, and they were playing at the exact same time as the Purdue game. So if you were going to try to get to town an hour before the Purdue game or even 30 minutes before the Purdue game, which is what you would have done if you were doing the double, then you would have been screwed in traffic. 
and you probably would have missed the early part of the game. Now, Goodman was able to do it somehow, but um, other uh, CJ Moore from the Athletic tried to do the double and was late, so not easy to pull off. Yeah. Anyway, well, Plus, I wanted to go see Josh Shirts. Who was Indiana State playing? Ball State. Which one's in, in uh, Indianapolis? Is that Ball State? Neither's in Indianapolis. I, I don't understand the uh, Midwest where you're driving to like all these major cities. Oh, no, no. They doubled it up. They played the game in on the same floor as the Purdue game. Oh. Uh, I, I drive 40 minutes to Providence, 40 minutes back. That's it. Once I drove down to URI for a province game, they lost. Other than that, that yeah, I stay in my no. lane. So yeah, everyone had everyone wanted to see the Josh Shirts show, so that's what we did. Um, but no, like I, I, I thought that game validated what was on film for me with the Arizona game or the Alabama game. Excuse me. Um, I thought that game validated what I've believed about Purdue every time I've watched them this year, which is that Braden Smith is one of the best point guards in the country. Like, full stop. And it's one thing, you're not going to really beat them, beat them if Fletcher Lawyer shoots it like he did. But, like, he doesn't have to play that well for Purdue to be a ridiculously tough out. Like, to me, Braden Smith has clearly become one of the most dynamic playmakers in college basketball. He is an elite passer. He is a great ball screen operator. He can make threes at a high level. He's shooting 48% from three. He generally makes very good decisions with the ball. Yes, there will always be times where he can get sped up a little bit and turn it over. But on the whole, Braden Smith is as good as just about anyone, in in my mind, in college basketball at the point guard position. And the sooner people start thinking that way and stop doing the, well, Purdue's guards are a question in March, the sooner we'll, uh, we'll all be a smarter college basketball viewing public. So, do you think that Smith is better than Kolick? Uh, no. But I, it, I, I had to think about that for like a, a, a second at least. It's funny because Purdue and Marquette, in terms of not the roster construction, but like their talent allocation, is very similar. Except, obviously, Purdue's number one guy, Edie, is so much better, right? But outside of Edie, Smith, and Lawyer, they just have, like, these top 50 recruits wasting away. And they have, like, these glue guys that just kind of run around and, I guess, do good leadership. Um, Caleb First was, like, remember he was, like, a starter? Like, he, he played on the U19 team. And now he's like a mediocre fourth big. Kaufman Red, everyone wants him out of out of the lineup. Miles Coleman's only a freshman, but get that. And then Gillis, I guess, is that that's that's probably the difference between Purdue and Marquette, right? Is that Gillis is giving Purdue what um Marquette needs from Joplin on the offensive end, and then plus he's a much better defender. Yeah, like, I think they're still kind of figuring out which lineups work. The Coffin Run thing is not great. 
I also don't think that the Lance Jones thing is like necessarily great, but I think his personality, like the personality he plays with is kind of what they need. Um, I mean, I even he's like, kind of like a better Stevie Mitchell, right? Yeah. It plays really, really hard. Like makes can sort of shoot. Like it's, it, it, it it's working just well enough. Um, I think Gillis is a really important player to their team, but again, it's just, Purdue's best offense traditionally has always been playing into post-ups or or getting shooters looks off of like off of actions right and now they've added like the third infinity stone if you will um by being able to be an elite ball screen team right because they have shooting around around the perimeter with Jones with Lawyer with Gillis with you know Heidi if he's in with Colvin you have Smith is just like one of the best passers in those situations. And he's gotten really comfortable just hitting that mid range shot, right? When teams play drop coverage, Braden Smith can make the, make the mid range jumper. If teams go under, he can make the three. Like he, like his level just changes everything in my mind. Absolutely. And then I actually thought Arizona just quickly, I don't know if you were going to, Mention that. I thought Arizona was really good too. You you can go on Arizona, and then I had a Purdue twenty four twenty five take. Sure. Okay. So on Arizona, like obviously dug themselves a hole early. Um, I think they did a good job. Uh, I, I think the biggest issue for them in that game was that Boswell didn't play particularly well, and so they really needed they really needed Love to step up, and he did in the second half. In the first half, he was a little quieter. Kashad Johnson was unbelievable. Like he he has gotten so much better. He looks so much better with more, more space, more speed on the floor around him. Just a consistent offensive presence that he was not a year ago. I mean, look, this is a guy who had what one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, uh, nine. 10, 11. He had 11 games last year with five or fewer points at, at a mid-major. Now it, now it's Arizona, maybe the best team in the country, one of the three best teams of the sport. He has never scored under 10 so far. Like just his consistency, his ability to attack closeouts, his ability to rebound, his ability to defend multiple spots. He looks a little bit, a little bit leaner, a little bit stronger. He has been awesome. Uh, and I do love the look with Lewis and Bradley able to come into the game defensively and just like muck things up, just be physical, be gritty, like all that I think has really worked. You know, there, I think their inconsistencies will pop at times. Um, but I think they have, they have the makings of a team that has a chance to be really good. Yeah. Lewis is one of those Rothstein buy stock now guys. That's that's hit, hit so far. We'll see if he sticks with it as Arizona, I'm sure, is just going to crush recruiting. I mean, Tommy Lloyd's track record so far is incredible in terms of, you know, success with transfers, with with recruits, with putting guys in the NBA, with winning games. So He's a guy who not only seems to really get elite players, but also his hit rate on players is really high. And teams are going to feast off their bench in, in, in the portal. Like they have like four seven footers. I saw that they're 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 going after this kid from I think Cameroon that 
killing like the uh, NBA Academy. Them in Texas are going after this big guy in t- 20, 2024. So, um, yeah, everyone line up for the Arizona bench guys hitting the portal. Um, my Purdue twenty four twenty five take. I I don't know how much you've looked at this stuff, but so they have six incoming freshmen. They're yeah. oversigned, including COVID years. But like, they're not obviously if they don't like if Gillis and I think Edie obviously and then Morton, um and then if and then if Waddell transfers, they'll be like right at thirteen. So like they're not gonna hit the portal at all it seems, and six freshmen you're probably gonna redshirt like three of them. So I think this Trey Kaufman rent thing is just kind of like preparation for like, we need you to play twenty five minutes a game and be awesome next year. I definitely think that's part of it. Um, I will say, like, big picture, there is there is a segment of Purdue people that sort of think, like, yeah, like, we can't – actually, let me put it this way. There's a segment of Purdue people who think that Painter would like to play a little bit differently than he has played in the past and not be as big man reliant, um, but knew that he couldn't do that this year if Edie was going to be be back, right? Like, you can't change how you play when you have the National Player of the Year. Um, like, you just have to improve what they improve. But I do think longer term, like, I'm not totally sure that they're going to keep – like, yes, they have Wilbur. I guess they recruited the kid Daniel Jacobson. But I don't think that they're going to be a – I don't think they're going to be a team built around, like, bruising you. Right. So I think next year it's like we have like 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 let's ignore all the like the seniors who could come back, but may not like their lineup is something like Smith, Lawyer, um, Heidi or Colvin, Heidi, probably Colvin. And then it could be Heidi as well at the four, if not uh, Cannon Catchings and or then, first oh, or first and then run at the five. Yeah, the thing about Jacobson, and 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 I assume that he redshirts next year, uh, but just watching the highlights on him, he's he like just fires jumpers. He's so that's, skilled. That's why I thought he wasn't gonna go to Purdue because I was like, Matt Matt Painter's not gonna let him shoot jumpers. He's gonna well, and so it's interesting. It's interesting though because they offered, they didn't wind up recruiting him super hard by the end, but they also offered the kid Trent Burns. Right. Who is like the ultimate like weird chucking seven footer, and I wonder if there's kind of like a there. I wonder if there's like a feeling of oh you know how are we like we can still recruit this niche but like we need to be a little bit different stylistically. I I'm not a fan of the Connor Vanover Trent Burn type of player. The I will say if, yeah if, if if they ditch what they've been doing successfully to like play Connor Vanover I'm gonna be pissed but I don't think they're gonna do that. Hey, if they're rolling out next year, Smith, Lawyer, Colvin, First, and Kaufman, Wren, with Heidi in there and a couple of their good good recruits, they should be pretty good once again. 100%. Um, that also means that Gillis could be a nice portal guy, but wh- why would he portal? Right. But but why'd they sign six freshmen? So, well, which is part of the problem, though, right, is that Purdue – 
Purdue is almost not built for the COVID years because they do such a good job of evaluating, right? Yeah. Like Cam Heidi redshirted last year. He's in the rotation a little bit this year. I think he's good enough. Like, I would not be surprised if if Cam Heidi winds up being a good player, but like, is he going to sit another year behind Gillis if Gillis comes back? You, you wouldn't think so. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I don't know. I wanted to talk Michigan real quick. Actually, yeah, let's, let's do Michigan, then let's do Memphis. Okay. Yeah. So, on the Michigan front, they lose another heartbreaker to Florida. I happen to think Florida's pretty good. Florida is a tremendous offensive rebounding team. They have multiple guards who are very dynamic. The Riley Kugel thing is not working, and it hasn't mattered for the most part. Like, they've been able to be a very good basketball team, at least a tournament team, I think probably closer to, like, a top 25 team without Riley Kugel playing at all well. I mean, he is shooting the ball extremely poorly. Um, they've generally taken the ball out of his hands and are now really playing through Poland and Walter Clayton. But Zion Poland is unbelievable. He had 22, 6, and 5 uh, yesterday. Um, Clayton has shot the ball pretty darn well. Uh, Samuel's been outstanding for them. Tyree Samuel, 21 and 11 yesterday, shooting now 69% from two this year, defending well, rebounding extremely well. He has been a great fit. And then the freshman big, Alex Condon, just continues to really emerge. Uh, 14 and six yesterday, three blocks. But, you know, the story for Michigan, just another game that they just let slip through. I mean, they're now six and six. Yes, they played a difficult schedule, but that game was won for them in overtime. They didn't win it. They lost to Indiana by three at home. That was a game that was really right there for them most of the way. They didn't finish it. Long Beach State, just a giveaway, right? Like Oregon uh, in overtime, they had a chance very late in the game, took a lead, could not finish the game. Like like all year, and it's not just this year. Like they are starting to be that team that cannot close games. And look, like I I, I think most fan bases have overinflated views of themselves. Um, think they're better than they are. I think their program stands taller. Uh, Michigan is no different. I see a lot of people say that Michigan should expect to be a national title contender most years. I don't really view it that way. Um, but there is no doubt that like most of what jo- most of what John Beeline built there, the consistency, the culture, um, the high level of success um, has really faded the further we've gotten away from it. And that is a a real indictment on Juwan Howard. Yeah, I mean, Beeline, he, he would he would pull guys out of the sky. I mean, whether it's Wagner or John Teske or all, you know, he, uh, Karis Levert, Muhammad uh, Abdul Rockman, right? Like, the, he, he would just, it, it, you know, maybe that was like a more of a pre-rankings reliance era i guess because it, it feels like the, the best programs used to take three-star guys more than they do now and like have success with them but i i mean they they were just rolling um and now yeah the, it what what a roller coaster where at the start of the year it looks like that they're going to be a wagon then the, the wheels fall off and it takes you a while to be like oh yeah they're actually off and then it's like oh jawan howard's gonna get fired Actually, no, he's 
going to be promoted back to head coach after people were like, why don't we let Martelli coach the whole year because we're a wagon. And now he's, he's back and uh, still suffering these close losses despite great play from Doug McDaniel. Yeah, Maybe I mean, the biggest game of the year for Michigan is a week from Friday when they play McNeese. Yeah, these uh, Christmas bye games have, you know, Indiana escaped, Nebraska escaped today, but they they have been trouble. Um, and McNeese is legit good. Yeah, now that Will Will Wade's back and all the two year transfers, I mean, we should have led the show with that. Uh, it's apparently illegal to have rules in college basketball. Um, I mean, I I guess they're right, right? Like if you were supposed to sit out this year, you weren't going to earn as much NIL as if you could have been eligible. That's hard to argue with that, but um, it's funny. Like West Virginia does all this hooting and hollering to get their guys, and then Battle doesn't even play in the first game. He's sick, and then tonight they lose to Radford. Yeah, I, I, I'm really glad that a, a politically motivated attorney general running for governor um, decided that just like blowing up college athletics so that West Virginia could like maybe make the CBI was a was a worthwhile endeavor. Really glad. I, Look, yeah, like I, we we can debate like the actual importance of this. Like my, I actually think that having two time transfers is good in the sense of like we've talked about the portal dying like whether that's a good thing or not like people are going to want transfers and this at least will if, if this becomes permanent this will make the market a little bit more robust uh, more yeah robust is a great word for it brad um but like the fact that this the fact that a federal judge wasted his morning doing this is like a sad state of affairs for our nation i have to say and also this is i don't think people truly understand the ramifications of this is it is going to be even harder to rebuild because every bad season the vultures are going to come swooping in and just take your best players there's going to be no restriction to keep them there you know, like, because I I saw a bunch of like Georgetown fans saying that that they they were they were going to get Bryce Hopkins in the portal, like this upcoming year. And it's like no, like if Bryce Hopkins gets the portal, I'm sure he's telling Cooley he's coming. And then when Bill Self gives him a call, when Tommy Lloyd gives him a call, it offers him more money, and he's like, I could rebuild at Georgetown, or I could go compete for a national championship for more money. You know, exactly what Hunter Dickinson did. And now there's nothing to keep the good players who were transfers on those rebuilding teams. So, Yeah, I mean, it'll be chaotic. Um, and I think in, on the aggregate, it does. Like, I think, I, I guess my view is, is I just think the market would have adjusted regardless, right? Like, if it was a thing that players could not sit, then like the Bryce Hopkins type transfers would become even more valuable, but that would mean that teams could build really great teams with one and two year guys, right? Because they wouldn't be as valuable as like getting a top 50 recruit for three years, like you would with hop. Um, right. I mean, honestly, Cooley's like final gift to Providence was the fact that he landed Carter and Hopkins as minimum two year players. 
right? Which is really hard to do to get two players of that caliber for two years. Um, you know, I, look, I, everyone would have adjusted. Everyone would have figured it out. I will say I feel bad. I feel bad for programs that recruited those kids thinking that they had a chance to build it for three years and did that deliberately and now don't get to do that, right? Like, I will point out in my backyard at, at Albany, um, they recruited two kids, Amari Marshall and Sebastian Thomas, one who had two years left and one who had three. Um, two guys that had not been very productive at their previous spots, one at URI, one at Hofstra. The, the main reason they did that was they felt like, all right, like this gives us a chance with like a multiple year core of these pr- talented guards. And I mean, I don't imagine that there's a lot of NIL there. Um, like when, and again, whether this is a good investment or not, but like, I don't know, but like when the point guard at Albany is averaging 16, four and five is available, people are going to go get that guy, right? Like, if they can go get Sebastian Thomas in the portal this spring and pay him, they're going to do it. If they can get Amari Marshall 15, 5, and 2 in the portal, probably going to do it. So. Well, I was texting you and everybody that I was like, you know what? I think a great portal target for Providence this year, if if he ends up portaling, will be Taylor Bowen at Florida State. You know, right. he went to high school in Rhode Island. Um, you know, he's familiar with the area. He played on Expressions. We're recruiting a bunch of Expressions guys. He's got three years left. He's not playing a ton of Florida State. Hamilton could retire or whatever. You know, they're not very good. And then after this, I was like, actually, that's not the move at all, right? Because let's say he comes in a sophomore, averages five points a game. He's just whatever. And then as a junior, he averages, you know, 12. And it's like, okay, here comes his great senior year. And then he's off to Kansas or something. So I think you're right. You need sh- shorter windows now instead of that gold mine with the top one the former top 100 recruit with three or four years of eligibility left well i think so 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 i'll i'll, I'll use a, a thought from football um that has become a little bit you know, very salient in that world um and I, i'm not necessarily sure it will be quite like this in basketball but i think you'll be able to um i think you'll be able to start seeing this trend to a certain degree you know, in football, you have very unbalanced schedules, right? And what I've seen, and this has been very central, particularly at Ole Miss this this spring and the or this winter in the portal is like they know they have a weak schedule and they're starting quarterback back from a pretty good team. And so their idea is like we're going to spend every like we're we're going to blow the house down in NIL this year, spend to get one one year guys and just go all in, right? Like we're not a traditionally elite program, but we have a good team coming back. We could make it a great team and let's give it one shot at like making the playoff or making the national championship, right? And I think you're going to start to see that a little bit in basketball. It won't be the same because the schedules are not are not wired like that. And also regular season accomplishments don't mean the same thing. But I think you're going to see, you're going to see programs, right? Like where, like if you're Marquette and you have, you know, you have Tyler Kolick coming back and you know, you have Oso coming back, you're going to, you're going to feel like this, you're, you're going to, you're going to take this groundswell to go get like two of the best transfers you can get and really push all the chips in for those years and other years you might not. Right. 
I'm trying to think of other good examples because Marquette's probably not the best one. They haven't taken a ton of transfers ever. But like you understand my point, right, Brad? Like I think the new wave, if you're going to be recruiting on shorter cycles, is your strategy in how how much you push the chips in will change from year to year. And there's going to be some teams like your Kansas, Indiana, you know, these teams with rumored high NIL budgets that can push the chips in every year. And then there's the really desperate guys that are going to be flailing and grabbing 10 transfers like Matt McMahon and Mike Hopkins as well. Um, I guess one last thing on the Big Ten. Yep. Are we buying Nebraska? Now, rink masks hurt now, but they just got a nice win over Kansas State. The week, week prior, they got one over Michigan State. I guess what are we defining as buying? Right, like we'll say tournament. I mean, they're in the 40s in the metrics, right? The Big Ten is wide open to get in that top four or five. I think tournament is a fair, a fair thing to say given those parameters. Yeah, this is the opportunity. Uh, I will say, I mean, they played a dog shit non-conference schedule, just awful. Um, and really, will walk away. I mean, the, the K-State win will help them even though I'm not all that convinced that K-State is very good. Um, but K-State Road one will help them. I just I, – I have a hard time with their point guard play. Right? They're really starting Jamarcus Lawrence at the point. And their leading assist rate guy amongst their starters is actually rink mast. And I think that's going to hurt them a lot when he's, get, when he's out. It's like how do they create – you know, they haven't gotten a ton out of Boogie Coleman. He hasn't even played the last few nights. Um, you know, they, they are so reliant on those two ball handlers. And I just think when you get in the league, like, you get predictable in a hurry. And I think it worries me. But as you said, I mean, there's wins out there, right? And there's a lot of 50-50 games you have to find a way to win. Um, and I think, you know, the first one was Minnesota. That's a 50-50 game on paper. I think they opened it like a – you know, two, three, four point favorite. They lose that game because of a devastating run in the first half and, and early in the second half, excuse me. Uh, that's one you had that you probably wanted to have. But then Michigan State's probably the game the other way. Home game against one of the better teams in the league, theoretically. Um, you know, they did the game, found a way to win it. So you're going to have to find a way to you know, win your fair share of them. Um, like, if you're a tournament team, you're going to have to beat Indiana at home to start league play. If you're a tournament team, you're probably going to have to beat Iowa or Rutgers on the road, right? Like all those type of games. And I don't, I don't totally know that I feel that they're that type of team yet, but I will give Fred Hoiberg credit. Like they're tougher. Um, the front court is good. Jawan Gary has been really good lately. Um, I was really impressed when uh, I watched him against Michigan State, just activity level. And then, the last two games, two more double doubles. So, and then Indiana is, you know, one one of the few teams that is just escaping these buy games, which, you know, when when you get deep into the second half and you're on the ropes in a buy game, you throw the net out the window, throw Ken Pop out the window, like just let's just win by one. And Indiana's done that what four times, not. Not literally winning by one, but just escaping. And San Diego State's been escaping. They're 
there have been a few others as well. Kansas State had like two overtime bye games. Um, so it feels like the high major teams are kind of holding on at this point. Um, and I guess that's it for Big Ten talk. Um, can we talk Memphis? I want to talk Memphis and UCLA. That's all I've got left on my list. But if you've got other stuff, we can get to that too. Um, sure, yeah. I'm trying to find Memphis and T-Rank right now. They are... They're 26th on Palm. So. Oh, 34 on T-Rank. They've they've kind of had like a like a Goldilocks schedule. Outside of the winning at Texas A&M, nothing they've done is crazy. But they played enough like solid teams. That they've, they've beaten a lot of like bubbly teams. Yeah. yeah, at Missouri, neutral Michigan, neutral Arkansas, uh, at VCU. Home Clemson, home Virginia, and then at Texas A&M. Outside of that road win at Texas A&M, none of those results are something that a bubble team couldn't do individually. The fact that they stacked all five of those together is pretty impressive. Now, they also lost, obviously, to Villanova. They got crushed. Then Ole Miss, who I called the House of Cards last week before they got Brandon Murray back. And Musa Cisse. Um so they actually might be good now. I guess we'll still wait and see on that. But um, seems yeah, like I mean, they looked apart. Yeah. I just thought, yeah, I thought the way that they played, especially against Virginia. I mean, Virginia is not a bad basketball team, and they wiped the floor with them. Um, the athleticism obviously just really pops. And look, I mean, David Jones is playing like an All-American. Full stop. I'm as shocked as you are. I think we all knew he had the ability. But for him to do this five straight games now, 22 or more, 26 against Virginia, hyper-efficient, making threes, getting to the free-throw line, like he's doing everything. And you're going to add Tomlin to this mix. Like, like to me, they're a top-15 team. They're, they're that good. And, like, I don't know where the loss is on their schedule for a while. Like, now that they've survived this stretch – they should beat Vandy. They should beat Austin P. They should win at Tulsa. They should beat SMU. They should beat UTSA. They should beat the breaks off UTSA. They should win at Wichita. They should beat South Florida. They should win at Tulane. They should win at UAB. Like, like they're going to be favored by like a hefty margin in every game in January. And even when you get to February, Wichita, Temple, Tulane, at North Texas, at SMU. Like, those are where you get a little trappy, and they have two late ones against FAU. I'm not saying they're running the table, but I also wouldn't be floored if they did. And T-Rank has them 13-5 and in the league. Right, which, like, but they're favored in every game except for at FAU, probably, right? Um, So they're .4 points dog at SMU. They're point one points dog home Florida Atlantic, and they're eight points dog at Florida Atlantic. Yeah, to me that's crazy. Um, that is crazy. I don't know because they were thirty one in the preseason on T rank. They're now thirty four. It all basically comes down to that Nova game dropped them like ten spots that they and had. the fact that no one respects Ole Miss, and that, that they haven't really blown any of these teams out except for Virginia. Yeah. 
I mean, they only played what two bye games. The, the opener against yeah. Jackson State, and then they played Alabama State, and they have one coming up against Austin P. I mean, have have we ever seen like a pseudo high major team or high major team play as little as three bye games? It's Gonzaga like. I mean, really. Yeah. It's how they schedule, and good for them. Like full credit to Penny. Right, people have been critical. Uh, they have a top ten strength of schedule in the non-conference, and that will regress obviously in the in, in conference play once you get to, um, you know, this stretch where like they'll play they'll play one top one hundred team in the next fifteen games, I believe. And then their next game against Vanderbilt. I mean, the the injury bug there has been incredible, but still. They lost a bye game last night, and their net went up. That's how low they are. The end is near. Yeah, it yeah. f- feels like you just got to turn the page. Cut Stackhouse. Nico Medved. You, you think that Nico Medved would prefer Vanderbilt to Minnesota or we'll some other openings, yeah, because we'll see. It'll be interesting. I think Nico is going to be the guy that everyone names for every like mid-level high major job, and everyone will assume he'll just take Minnesota of that group because it's home. But like in reality, I don't know that it's as slam dunky as it is, as it feels. And I think the other thing is Nico's like a Sweet 16 trip from being a very real candidate at Michigan, um, a very real candidate at West Virginia. And a dark horse candidate at Louisville. Speaking of Louisville candidates, we had some Jerome Tang tr- trouble in paradise. We have even more Mick Crone in trouble in paradise, where he's he's bitching about NIL, despite having a team full of like highly regarded recruits. But but I guess he wanted better transfers. But like you, you, you can't tell me a team that has a Dembona. It has three of the top international guys who we were explicitly told are coming to America now because they're getting paid more in in NIL than they are on, on their European club teams. I mean, Dylan Andrews is top fifty. Sebastian Mack was top fifty. I mean, Lazar Stefanovic wasn't the sexiest name out of the portal, but dude was a starter on a Pac-12 team. And, like, we're going to sit around and be, like, crying poor? Yeah, I mean, I do think they the international stuff was NIL, right? 100%. But I also think that Mick alienated, alienated himself with certain people in recruiting with how Peyton Watson went and how some of these other elite recruits have gone. I mean, Peyton... Peyton Watson's going to be a very rich man in a couple of years. He's playing really well in the NBA. I, I guess his, his, draft, his draft stock undeniably tanked, but right, that's the that's the issue. Is that his first yeah. contract got screwed? Look, like, like the Northridge loss is really bad. Um, I think Mick is fine. I think Mick's a really good coach. I think everyone agrees. You know, and, and I, I don't really see what is changing in terms of like the buyout stuff, unless there's a way that we don't know about for him to get out of it. I don't see how he's going anywhere. And I don't see why you'd consider even like, I don't, I don't know why if you're UCLA, you'd think about letting him go. I mean, he's 
a really good coach. He's yeah. taking you to three straight Sweet 16s. I he's know like he's at it. least a top 20 coach in the country. Yes, absolutely. 100%. A, a little more trouble in paradise. And certainly Tang. I mean, I, look, I, 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 I fully believe that Jerome Tang will explore every avenue to get out of Kansas State this year. And Louisville's obviously pro- probably the best chance. And they they were having a little trouble in paradise too. I don't remember exactly what happened other than them getting blown out by Arkansas State. Was that ha- have we podcasted since the whole Coron Davis thing exploded? Uh, no, I don't think so. No. So, I mean, just an all-time blunder, right? And this is this is the biggest problem that. This is one of the many problems that Kenny Payne has, but Kenny Payne just is like unable to not put his foot in his mouth, right? Like the way this whole thing was handled was crazy. Like there's a reason why Karan Karan Davis cannot be on this team. Karan Davis got an altercation with um, a staff member. A lot of people have said it's Nolan Smith. I'm not going to say for sure what happened exactly. All I know is that there is a there is plenty of like rumor mill of. Karan Davis getting some sort of altercation with a staff member. He had to be separated from the team because of that. They decided to dismiss him. But if you're going to decide to dismiss him and get him out, like that's cool. Just like coordinate with the kid how you're going to do it. Don't just just send out a press release saying he's transferring. He didn't when he didn't say he's transferring. Like you're opening your opening the door to that. So it's just I mean it's so stupid uh, on every level. And look like the, I think I honestly believe the only reason that Kenny Payne is still the coach at Louisville as we as we record this, and he may not be by the time you're listening to this. Uh, I, I truly believe that there, there's two two reasons. Number one is that um, is that the Kentucky game is going to be such a difficult thing to walk into for anyone who is the interim coach. Um, and number two, um, I don't know that Louisville knows who it can hire as its interim coach. I mean, you might as well just keep him until his buyout goes down at the end of the season. I mean, what is an interim guy going to accomplish? Nothing. Whether it's Danny Manning, who's already done it, or Nolan Smith, who like also puts his foot in his mouth. It's literally just sending a message. All it is. How about you just keep him and save your $2 million? Well, why would you do that when you can let Luke Hancock coach the team? Luke Hancock, I think it was a Field of 68 thing. Maybe it, it, it was a Louisville thing, uh, you know, like, like like some local media thing. He said in an interview or on, on his, his show or whatever that Danilio Jovanovic, you know, obviously he, he heard this from Jim Laranega, who was his old coach and Jovanovic's old coach, asked Laranega to redshirt him last year. And... Larry Nagel's like, cool, like that that makes a ton of sense. And at the end of the season, after they lost in the Final Four, like came into Larinaga's office all angry and was like, Why why would you redshirt me? I could have helped this team. He was like, Well, you you asked me to redshirt you. <laughs> like also, we made like, the final four. Blocked, yeah, we went to the final four and you were blocked by Jordan Miller, who's an NBA player. Yeah, and Anthony Walker is five years older than you. So I guess when Jovanovic committed to Louisville, we we Circle that as a bad get, obviously, because of on-the-court things. It's a team with no shooting, and the, the shooter that they, that, that they found was a three-star forward. It was going to be like their eighth forward on the team. 
and didn't didn't play last year. Uh, but it seems like there was some other wacky stuff going on with him too. Again, just self-inflicted wound after self-inflicted wound after self-inflicted wound. This would never have worked, but it could have went so much better if everyone about around the Louisville program wasn't just loaded with stupidity. So. And then I I hope that you're ready to appreciate Thad Mata on Saturday. I don't know if you saw Cooley's press conference. Yes. He is getting weird, Cooley. Because he's clearly he's clearly setting the groundwork that like he sees the criticism coming. So he, he he's like trying to preemptively like move the conversation. Right? Like where he he's trying to say, Oh, like it's impossible in year one to make a good team, that's why I rebuilt it. And then like Thad turned over the whole roster and they're like not bad. So he's trying to like get out in front of it. That's at least what 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 my interpretation is. See, Thad's doing a terrific job. You better appreciate it. And you better ask some good questions to the media. Ask a good tough question. Or are you going to the press conference on Saturday? I bet I will be. Yeah, I don't see why I wouldn't. You better ask some some super tough questions to Thad and Kim. Mm-hmm. Start start thinking now. How about the questions when I come to the Providence versus uh, Georgetown game? I can really ask. That's, that's 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 not a game. That's a spectacle. It's really going to be something else. I'm not looking forward to it at all. I think it's a lose lose situation for everyone Providence related. Oh yeah, I mean Providence when, when Providence starts like an insurrection at half court, it's gonna be really something else. Yeah, because and they who, beat like a they beat like the 200th ninth team at Ken Palm. Yeah, we're 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 either gonna play like shit and like potentially lose, or the game will go according to plan, but the fans will like say inappropriate things that yeah, say something racist and yeah, gets gets picked up nationally. Bad luck for the Friars. Or not even racist, just like sure. excessive, excessive f coolies the whole game. Um, man, two two they're two eighty six in defense. Oh, I thought that they were three hundred. Maybe they they improved. Yeah, they only gave up seventy four to Butler. Kept Butler to only 1.14 points per possession. Jesus. And that was with DJ Davis getting hurt, too, at halftime. DJ Davis got hurt? Yeah, I saw a Butler fan tweet about that. He t- t- twisted his ankle. I don't think he played the second half, or at least most of the second half. Um, Chase, Chase Ross also died at the Marquette game, the Marquette-Browns game. And, like, I saw all these Marquette fans tweeting, like, the refs ruin our season. Now Chase Ross is done. And then he came back for the second half. It was fine. Do you have any other things you want to get off your chest on today's episode? I'm trying to think. Was, was there any more trouble in paradise? I don't think anything off the top of my head. Um, Terrence Arsenal is done for the year. We mentioned Colin Smith done for the year. Um, Kyle Brenner got hurt 
against Alabama. It seems like he's back tonight, though. That was a very good game, Creighton, Alabama. Creighton, how about Creighton um, is going Farabello over Ashworth? Are they really, though? Like, Ashworth's still yeah. playing, like, 25 minutes a game. No, they are going Farabello over Ashworth multiple times now. Uh, obviously, Ashworth starts, but when the going gets tough, it's Trey Alexander at the one, Farabello at the two. And 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 Farabello's been much better this year than he was last year, but still, for Ashworth, I mean, he, he was supposed to be one of the premier portal guys. I just don't know that I really want... Alexander with the ball in his hands. He, I just he does not look to pass. I mean, he he has good assist numbers for some reason, um, but he pounds it into the ground. He, I also just think he's soft. Like I don't, I don't think he's like wired to be like a high high level player. No, he's he's gotten better at the rim, but he he's still like a jump shooting guard. Yes. Um, like, but, go ahead. Well, you go ahead because I have kind of a larger point to make. Well, I was just gonna say, I just felt like uh, I just felt as though if Trey Alexander's the guy late in games for Creighton, they're going to get bounced early in March. Um, I was gonna say two teams that looked like they had really promising cores in place, Marquette and Creighton. Their role guys have kind of stunk this year. Like if you're Marquette. Okay, your best player next year should be Cam Jones. Perfect. Right, that, that's awesome. Kolek's leaving. Yeah, I, I think Kolek and also both go in the NBA. Um, then you, you figure Joplin and Mitchell as seniors and your promote from within culture would be second and third best players. And then Ross, Jones, and Gold running out your top six. I mean, if you're a shot guy, I think you got to go at least touch the portal, sniff around. And then if you're Creighton, we figure, okay, Ashworth, he could be your best player next year. Like, no way. Fred King may have gotten a little worse from last year. I guess we'll see. Trout, they don't really trust out there. Mason Miller, he's good, but you're going to have Trout and McAndrew. You know, it's kind of a mess. They, Creighton definitely needs to hit the portal and get, like, like, like a – Dalen Swain type of player, and then like a um, like a Trey Alexander type of player. So that's kind of a tall order. We'll see. Yeah, you know, I, I I will say this. I think it it is it will be interesting to see some of the some of the teams that seem anti portal. How many of them are actually anti anti portal, and how many of them are like. Are there, how many how many are willing to not be anti-portal? Well, like Michigan State and UConn just need one guy. Both both a three-man. Um, Purdue should be fine. Marquette doesn't need anyone specifically except for some more talent probably, but, yeah. Who are the other anti-portal teams I can't even think? Michigan State. Yeah, they just need one one wing. But a, a, a lot of teams are going to need a, you know, a Tyler Burton style wing or a, you know, Dalen Swain style wing, like I said earlier. But. Now you you say that Creighton's going to need to hit the portal. That's the tired take. The wired take is that 
Creighton's roster is going to be portal fodder when Greg McDermott leaves for either West Virginia, Louisville, or Arizona State. Well, I I know he wanted he wanted Notre Dame or like use it for leverage last year, right? Yes. And the year before there was Arizona State rumors, but I mean, if he wants nice weather, I mean, Florida State could be open. I don't think he can get Florida State. I don't think that's like the vibe. Yeah. That they would hire. How old is McDermott? Could 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 he just hang it up and do golfing full time? No, I think he wants bread. Yeah. I mean, they they have a good recruiting class. They have good NIL, so yeah, that's that that's a we'll see. I I I would assume if McDermott leaves, they just bring up Darren DeVries, right? Probably, although Alan Huss could be interesting. They've had a great start at high point. And your guy Josh Shirts. Everybody loves Josh Shirts. A lot of intrigue, a lot of industry intrigue about Josh Shirts. The uh, nerdy media loves Josh Shirts, but do do the a- athletic directors know Josh Shirts? Like, like does does Steve Napolillo know who Josh Shirts is? I don't know. He, he wasn't. I didn't. I didn't do the coaching list this year, so he's kind of screwed. He's probably so uh, lost. I think, let me put it this way. I think there's a lot of people in like search firm agency, like the like behind the scenes power brokers who are rapidly trying to find out more about Josh Shirts right now. So well the the valley is an interesting spot because Drake is good. It in the United States obviously good. And then some of the second tier teams aren't bad either, so this this could be one where you got to make the tournament and maybe win a game to get people's attention. Depends like what level we're talking about here. So you think like if Indiana State makes the NIT, you think Josh Shirts could be in the mix for DePaul, but not. Yeah, DePaul, St. Louis. But not like Washington or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. He can't yeah. get like an elite job without making the tournament. But anything else? I don't think so. It's tough to remember everything. I know. It's but, so constant. Meanwhile, North Carolina just like is not missing any jump shots. Like Baycott. But those is Baycott is hit a three. It's like, all right, well, that's the night. Like, oh, uh, Oklahoma can be as good defensively as they want to be. If Baycott makes threes, you just kind of have to tip your fucking cap and move along. I, I said last say, week that I thought uh, Virginia was going to win the ACC. Yeah. Now I'm back on UNC. I think think I've hit four of the top five teams as my top of the ACC so far. Just need Clemson. I will say Oklahoma's athleticism really pops even in this game. Like, some of the plays, I don't know how much you've been watching last few podcasts, but, like, some of the – Jalen Moore plays are like unbelievable. I saw his missed dunk that he tapped in. Yeah, but that second leap is crazy. Yeah. And Owe is an uh, unbelievable athlete. But like it just doesn't matter when RJ Davis is doing what he's doing, Baycott's doing what he's doing. Like, no, North Carolina is really dynamic offensively. How about Villanova has wins over UNC and Memphis? And like St. Joe's is helping out a ton. Yes. Like, they're going to end up being just fine. <laughs> yeah, we'll see about Drexel and... Uh, Penn. Yeah. 
Oh, Trilly tweeted 10 minutes ago that Bobby F. and Hurley is going to be the first flight to Orlando if the season keeps going this way. UCF. I assume he means Central Florida. Yeah, UCF. Why would they want it? That's a, I don't know why people like fun. Bobby Hurley. Like, yeah, what's the exciting thing about Bobby Hurley? People were trying to push him to Providence, like the media, when uh, Cooley was leaving. The media. People were trying to push him to St. John's, to DePaul, to all these places. He's not good. All right, folks, we will see you all next week. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Hope you guys get to enjoy some time with your families and uh, enjoy the brief ball hiatus or don't enjoy the brief ball hiatus. It is always brutal. Um, have to watch the NBA for one day a year. Uh, so it should be fun. Appreciate y'all. Watch some television.